now arriving downtown Santa Monica Station. I'm Adam Lesser. And I'm Joshua Townsend Zellner. Welcome to Notes on Your Notes, a podcast about the creative process and storytelling. Uh, we are in probably the nicest uh, location we'll, we'll ever be in. Oh, now, now. This is, this is definitely an upgrade, but come on. Have a vision, Adam. We can, we can you know, there's up, upscale from here. We Th- also this have is beautiful, though. A very special guest, Nora Nolan, joins yes. us. Hello. Yes. Hi, Nora, describe what you're staring at. Uh, a couple of beautiful men. <laughs> and, uh, really, and that's that was, it. That was, that was that's it. I nice can't take setup. my eyes off nice. them. Uh, there seems to be a demolished park right out this beautiful glass window. Um, but that, that's L.A. pretty. Yeah. So. No, we're uh, high budget. Notes on your notes. has uh, got a free room at the West Hollywood Public Library, which is incredibly beautiful. From a huge glass wall, we can see the Pacific Di- Design Center and the Hollywood Hills. Mm-hmm. And uh, the demolished park that uh, Nora's referring to, where um, the very friendly woman in the elevator told me uh, that they have taken it over for an Elton John after party for the Oscars. Nice. So. It's not dressed up yet. No. Not yet. Not yet. It's, it's coming. This and is a lovely setting. Thank you. Yeah, if, you, if everyone wants to see a picture of what Nora's looking at, all they have to do is look at our Instagram, and there's a, a photo of it. Oh, right. We're on Instagram. Notes yeah. on your notes. Notes on your notes. Josh handles that. Uh, so our listeners are like, who's Nora Nolan? <laughs> <laughs> Get to it. <laughs> <laughs> we're asking the same question. We just They're on the edge of their yeah. seat. They just want to know. Yeah, we came to the library to record, and this woman walked into the room. <laughs> I live here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we walked into the library, and um, there was a woman with a service dog eating a burrito on the floor. That she- wasn't me, by the way. <laughs> for all your listeners, <laughs> it feels like that's where this is going. Because <laughs> I don't have a service dog. Yeah. I was one without the service dog. Yeah, uh, yeah Nora, tell us about your library game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to start a library game now that I've seen how nice it is. Uh, Nora is a wonderful TV writer, and she joins us um, because... Uh, I heard her lecture on scene writing, when, and I really liked it, and so I invited her on the show. Uh, she uh, was a fellow at the Warner Brothers a TV Writers Fellowship, in addition for writing for NBC's Trial and Error, and currently for Paradise PD on Netflix. Did I get that right? Yep. Wow. 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 Jeez. wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Did I miss something? Oh, you are also a stand-up comic. I, I, uh, I started as a stand-up, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like, really... Obvious dumb question, but I always like asking our guests it anyways, which is, what exactly does a TV writer do? Like, what's your, what's your day like? What a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I I'll dignify TV. it with an answer. Uh, you know, days really vary uh, because if we're staffed, we have a job like normal people, except that we're like, at least on the shows I've been on, we sit around a conference room table all day working on in a very collaborative way. Um, but if you're not staffed or if you're on hiatus, you live inside your head <laughs> in a mind numbing state. Uh, no, you just, and you do, um, B lists podcast to pass the you time <laughs> <laughs> just to get to so your next meal. Yeah. Is there different phases? Like I would imagine there's different phases of a project, right? As a writer. So you, you, you come in and in a, in a room. Yeah. 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 Um, tell, tell us about those phases. Sure. Uh, 
well, at the beginning of the season, the showrunner who's created the show usually has some sense of what's going to happen in the season. <laughs> I've never been on a first season show, but my understanding is that it can be a little trickier for a first season show because you're all sort of figuring it out as yeah. you go. Um, anyone who's written a pilot knows how brutal it is just to figure out what's going to happen in your pilot. <laughs> never mind. Like, God help you if it gets picked up to series because uh, you have a lot more to figure out. Um, oh, I'm glad I'm not alone. I think about that sometimes when writing pilots. I'm like, what if I had to write 10 of these and I want to cry? That's like <laughs> kind of a joke, I think, in the business is like you really want your you really want to sell your pilot. You really want them to make your pilot. And then you're like, oh, they better not pick this up. I mean, I don't know where it, I don't know where it goes from here. And then if it does get picked up, you're like 10 writers in a room trying to figure out where it goes from there. Yeah. Wow. Um, but... That's, yeah, that's got to be a really interesting moment, though, because you go from having a baby to sharing, you know, parenting or wh whatever. I analogy think you, you lose your use. baby before then. Oh, really? I mean, having worked with network notes mm -hmm. and studio notes, you know, it depends where you are. But on network TV, you yeah. know, there's a lot of involvement of executives. I love how you said involvement. That was nice. Thank you. Yeah. Well played. Hey, <laughs> my, <laughs> my mother would call me political. <laughs> involvement. Uh, not in a good way. Uh -huh. uh, <clears throat> but yeah. I mean, yeah, you think you lose your baby early on. Okay. I, you know, I don't know. So you're already gripping with the reality by the time you have 10 other people trying to co-parent. Yeah. I gotcha. Also, there's like a major power structure in the writer's room. Yeah. So like I'm not co-parenting a story with my showrunner. I'm, my job is exclusively to write their vision. Mm -hmm. So it's, and I think on cable, there's, there's showrunners have more freedom to, to not give up certain mm -hmm. precious things about their shows. Um, preciousness is more valued. <laughs> Art matters. Art matters. <laughs> and Cynthia. When they don't pay and, as well. And, and Paul <laughs> and Beatrice. Uh, it's a great joke. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, at the start of the season, you know, you may be sort of figuring out the broad strokes of what's going to happen. Um, on Trial and Error, we were, like, super serialized, which a lot of drama especially is now. But um, you sort of figure out what are going to be the big beats across your season. And so you may spend weeks on that, and then you may get into more nitty-gritty on the, the first episode or the second episode. So it's sort of, yeah, there are steps, as you say. Yeah. And then you're maybe beating it out in a lot more detail in the room, in some rooms, in the rooms I've worked in, for sure. Mm -hmm. Or you send a writer off, and they do some of that, and they come back, and mm -hmm. you all regroup. But everybody has their fingers in everything. Yeah. What's your favorite part in terms of, like, do you like to have uh, the, assi the assignment, as it were, and then you go off and, and riff it on your own and then bring it back? Or do you, are you, like, more of, like, the collaborator who likes to... You know, I'm sort of surprised to find that I like the collaborative part more. I really like when we... I, the show, everything I've written for is comedy. So there's a more specific mm -hmm. step of punching up and yeah. pitching jokes. That, to me, is, like, the funnest thing when you're going through on trial and error we co -wrote, we room wrote there's a phrase for it it's gangbang the script <laughs> i'm not sure you obviously came up with that yeah it's it's a little bit of a west hollywood library term yeah. <laughs> um, but library 2.0 you have to pay extra for that uh <laughs> You'll edit that out. <laughs> right. um, so there you were, <laughs> yeah. gangbanging a script. <laughs> right. Walk me through that. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
But it's really like, so say there's 10 writers in a room, mm -hmm. there's a couple of screens up, uh, big monitors, and there's a writer's assistant typing everything wow. that you're saying. And so we've, we wrote a few of those scripts like literally line for line. And mm. sometimes you'd like bang your head against the wall because you'd spend like an hour, two hours on one joke or one line. Mm. Um, but sometimes it's really fun. I, I really like that. Most people hate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you're high detail. You love the high detail. You like really getting into the... I really like... Jokes are my crutch for writing. It's how I got into writing. Uh -huh. And so it's sort of like... I would say, like, if I were teaching, like, it's my f muscle to flex. And so, like, I, I like the other stuff, too. Mm -hmm. But um, that's, like... F that feels like batting practice to me. But see, see, to me, like, we did a whole episode on this, which is which is that thing of, I tell people to learn jokes. Because if you can break down the structure of a joke, within the structure of a joke is the structure of almost every script. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, like there's a story within a joke. There's a beginning, middle, and end. There's a setup. There's a payoff. Right. Right. And yeah, there, yeah, yeah. And there's certain things that need to, to, to happen in a certain sequence in order for it to, to pay off. Otherwise, totally. no joke. And so that, I find that fascinating. That, that and the order of the words matters. Oh, my gosh. The... Um, Some of the jokes are based on that order. So yeah. yeah, and the yeah. the other thing that that comes out of that is um, like being really efficient in your words, which is an underrated thing, I think, especially for newer writers. Um, but mm -hmm. in comedy, that's like it's gold. Yeah. yeah. So so you learn that early. Yeah. Um, well, we have a friend named Betty who's like you know Betty. Yeah. She's a mistress at that. She writes on literally like a four by five notebook. Because okay. she writes so efficiently. Yeah. And she'll get on and do like a moth type story, but she'll be off. She literally wants to get it into like, you know, 45 lines on a four by five book. Yeah. Right? It's an interesting approach because we live in this yeah. social media age of just infinite dribble. Betty's also in her We 70s. lost our 140 characters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything's they were trying meaningless. to help us. Yeah, I know. They were. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, I can't with this 280. It's yeah. too sloppy. It's so sloppy. Um, yeah. How am I supposed to uh, work within limitation to be an artist? Yeah, we're yeah. just going to reset the bar. <laughs> <laughs> like, we need more people to try making jokes. Let's expand the options. Do you, do you still hew to 140 because you're you're purist? Are you like, yeah, I count the like letter a counter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I won't like a tweet unless I count all the letters. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Self-discipline, yeah. Um, when you're on hiatus, I imagine you also write pilots. Yes. Originals, Excellent. in which case you're alone. <laughs> We're all alone at the end of the day, Adam. Adam you're so much fun today. <laughs> you're alone. You'll always be alone. Yeah. You've never been I, alone. I'm just kind of curious how that experience of you writing an original by yourself. Or I was just thinking that today because that is what I'm doing right now because we are on hiatus at Paradise PD. Um, so for anyone who's not knowing this term, hiatus means you're on a break from a show. Okay. Between yeah. seasons. Yeah, between seasons. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's a fancy way to say you're unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> this to the government, we say I'm unemployed. <laughs> this hiatus sure is lasting a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to producers, <laughs> we say well. Yeah. Yes. And if, this, if I were in a meeting right now, I would say hiatus, hiatus, hiatus. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I was thinking about that today because you go from this, like, crazy collaborative thing. A friends of mine have a pilot. Um, at HBO Max that they're like with Warner Brothers that they're about to hand in and so they asked me to help do punch up on it and it was like this is earlier this week and it was so fun because I'm just like reading someone else's <laughs> stuff and just like pitching jokes on like wherever I want like 
no stakes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you should take it seriously because yeah. whatever. But uh, then you're back to your own fucking pilot and you're like, oh my God, I have to think yeah. of everything myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, oh my God. And pilots are really, really hard because yeah. you're creating a whole world, you're setting a whole tone, you're creating characters. So I'm, I'm deep, I have a manager and he works very closely with me. Um, I did have a writer's group, but so like my closest friends in writing. No offense to you guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's going to be it for uh, Marno. Yeah. Thanks, Marno. There's a service dog and a burrito out there for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ooh, Adam, that was edgy. That was an edgy one. Nice. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, who is this guy? Wow. Uh, uh, so I, I have, I do have a sounding board in my manager. Uh, I, I technically could have a sounding board in my wife, mm. but like anyone, <laughs> you know, it's like if you... <laughs> if you have someone read your stuff, it's very aspirational. Yes, it's like speaking, yeah. it's very it's very dangerous territory. Yeah, no, don't understood. Especially like when you're like, okay, I guess I'm gonna do, I'm gonna rewrite it. Like we read it again, and they're like, yeah, it's good. And you're yeah. like, well, what about this joke? And they're like, yeah, it's the same as last time. Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> you I know? spent three weeks changing this <laughs> <Yeah>. script. <laughs> the four lines in this script that are yeah. gonna be the game changer, <laughs> right? <laughs> So uh, I have a man- my manager is very involved, and that's great for me uh, because it's it's really hard to work in a box. Meaning you have someone to turn in outlines to and drafts and get notes from and to have a conversation with about who this would be appropriate for if you were to go out and pitch it. Like you have yeah. like a f- like a beginning to end because I actually wanted to ask you about that because it seems like you have a really great relationship with your manager. Mm-hmm. Um, I know not everyone is in that boat or not even good or bad, like in terms of involvement level. Um, like, w- let's just talk, like what, what is a good writer-manager relation look like to you, relationship look like? I think it, many people would answer this question differently. For me, let me just say, I'm an identical twin, and I've never been alone in my life. <laughs> <laughs> not even in my pre-life. So I like having support. Sure. So he... Sometimes it's very frustrating to work with a manager who's very involved because you feel like it's hard to move forward because they have to approve something or you know they have to give the go ahead or you're gonna or you're gonna have friction for the rest of the process. So hmm. it can take a lot longer. Hmm. If I have an idea that I just want to sit down and write, of course I'm always gonna outline it first and whatever. But like if I really wanted to, I could do it in a couple of weeks. You know. Yeah. But with somebody else weighing in, it takes like, this is like months. Mm. And so that sucks. But so, I mean, it's not like so simple as having someone who's like great to weigh in. Um, There is a drawback. But for me, it's giving me the opportunity to not live in a vacuum. Mm. Um, Yeah. That's interesting because I feel like I have a lot of writer friends who would relish that because it is so lonely writing pilots by themselves. Yeah. And at the same time, I understand like if there are certain people who are like, can you just get me some meetings so I can go pitch out my amazing idea and my super good pilot instead of telling me that this, this, and this needs to be different. Yeah, I'm like a self-deprecating comedy writer, so I'm like, I can't pitch this. It's like, not this is an awful idea. Like, can you help me make my idea better? Uh, But yeah, I mean, I'm like... Like right now, I, my manager's. We got through this outline process. He's he sent me off, basically like a T 
teacher or a coach or a producer. He will be a producer if anything ever happens with it. Uh, to write the cold open in the first act. And then, so I sent that to him last week. And he sent me notes, and I'm rewriting based on his notes, which are actually great. And 99% of the time, his notes are great. Mm -hmm. But, like, I'm, like, eager to get it to him by Friday because then I'm going to lose the project for however long it takes him Mm, to look at it. it. You know what I mean? Like, I can't just sit back down Monday. Mm -hmm. And start working on act two. And move on. Yeah. Yeah. He does turn around quickly, but it still takes him a few days. So it's like a constant this thing. What would you call it? Push-pull. Push-pull. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have those days in between, and it's like the bar is open. You're at Lofo. (laughs) You know, you forget to pick your kid up. (laughs) You lose your keys. We'll stay over at a friend's. And then you tell your wife it's your manager's fault. Yeah, you blame it on your manager. He's in recovery. Mm. Now you both are. <laughs> you know. Now you're writing a pilot <laughs> yeah. about your relationship with your manager and you're both in recovery. Yeah. 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 Will this hiatus ever end? You started, uh, you came to LA and you were living in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Doing stand up in New York. Uh, how has doing stand up impacted, you know, sort of like the way you are as a TV writer or how um, you approach TV writing? Well, I assume everybody's going to be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you're used to getting heckled. So yeah. That's, 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 you assume yeah. they're going to be cutting remarks. You know, it. I, it's definitely, as I said, it's like my crutch jokes. Mm-hmm. And it gives me my confidence in the room. But that even took a little bit because in stand-up, you're so used to all the everybody is trying to be funnier than the other person. And then you get into a writer's room and it's like, it's... I mean, there's a bit of that, but it's nothing like stand-up. I mean, I once heard someone say you really shouldn't have more than one stand-up in a writer's room at a time, and I could see why, because it's like, oh, it's a lot. (laughs) Uh, And so that, I don't remember what your question was, but... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Here's another one. Okay. There's always more from that candy jar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I would think for some stand-ups... Because jokes are their crutch, um, writing really uh, strong characters with point of view and an arc and goals and that that aspect of of narrative and storytelling uh, requires some learning. Yes. And uh, Mm. like you have that. And I'm just wondering how you got to that. Like was it because I imagine that's a process and I imagine, you know, there's so many stand ups now writing like I just saw Rami, like writing um, serialized shows. And the question I always have is like some some of them do it really well with a character that has a really strong point of view and an interesting development over 10 episodes. Yeah. And some of them, I feel like I'm just watching jokes. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, how, how you navigate that, how you think about that, how you came to be able to do that. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think part of it is, like, your own maturity, it, like, your own self, like, therapy, should I just say the word therapy? And that's what it is. Do you want to talk about therapy? I mean, <laughs> let's talk about therapy. <laughs> I think uh, it's digging a little deeper, but also, like, I took a ton of classes. And, like, I knew I, I knew what I had to learn. I mean, because I, I knew that really coming into it, there was only one thing I did know, which was, like, how to write a joke. And so... I just really had zero confidence about the rest of it. So I took a, bun- a ton of classes and, yeah. and didn't even think about the joke writing. That was just sort of like yeah. a thing that I could add to 
telling a story. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I know what you mean. I find that to be really um, challenging for me to watch, which yeah. is, which is um, the character having a certain perspective and then words coming out of the character's mouth that are the writer's that are there just to serve a joke as opposed to a, the real point of view of the character. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's always challenging for me to watch in any program. What shows do you, what oh, are you thinking of? That, that I, I, don't, I, I don't have any, I don't have any one. We thought we'd take some shots yeah, at yeah. some people in the business <laughs> no, no, right no, now. I'm not, I'm not taking, I'm not taking any shots at anyone because, Hold on, because we're just going to turn off the recorder for one second. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, because every genre has its thing. And so sometimes it's not, it's not applicable. Who cares if the, if it's true to the character or not, because it's there to serve a joke to move to the next line you know what yeah. I mean yeah so I'm I think I'm really well written out. stuff does that and you just don't see it it's not yeah you, you don't see that it's happening but I know what you mean sometimes I feel guilty when I write a setup like this character is only saying this so that this yeah. next character can say this other <laughs> exactly. thing yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's a way to try to make it natural and right. that's where the yeah that's where the that's where character the skill stuff is. comes in yeah. yeah yeah because that has to do with um with what genre and how much reality we're playing with because totally. because when actually because you can write anything you want to write but when it goes into production it's there's a whole nother level to be aware of like how, what level of reality are we playing in you yeah know, how much yeah yeah which brings me to your animation mm. oh, yeah. so so no reality well it, i mean well, we're, we're actually you know the simpsons right that's people you know weigh in on that like she's real and you know all the characters are real. Okay. so, how, so how just so everyone knows paradise pd is animated on netflix mm -hmm. and so nora's written both for live action and for and for animated yes um joshua did you i have questions about this but you i just ahead. i just had a huge take on something when you when you work with animation you work with voice actors and that's a whole different world in some way mm -hmm. than actor actors even if they're actor actors are still voice actors because um, voice actors are working off a script in a in a sound booth yeah and so they're going to hit your lines beautifully but like an actor actor who's has to memorize the words who doesn't get the words right you have all those other considerations that's all i just had that i just had that that hit right there yeah except oh yes tell me that in a stu in a sound booth you're not reacting to another character and that's the challenge that's that's yeah. the challenge part right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not like live yeah. improv. Voice acting is so different than um, than acting. Acting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so so what, what's it like working as a writer? Writer for. Animation I guess there's a difference between writing for animation and writing for live action TV. Um, on this particular show, not. I mean, the big difference is the the actual like production process. You know, we. We write a script, it gets table read, just like live action, um, and then it goes to get animated, and then we see a uh, an animatic. We have an animatic screening, which is basically, it's not fully animated, it's black and white. The characters don't move like consistently, they kind of jerk a little bit. <laughs> when the script calls for it. Uh, so you're not like watching what you would watch on television. But we all watch that okay. with an audience of animators <laughs> and randoms, executives and stuff. Uh, and then we do a rewrite based on that. And then we see another screening in color of that rewrite. And then we do another rewrite based on that. Got it. So some rewrites are different sizes depending on, like usually the edits aren't huge by the time you get to color, but you can still 
punch things up, add jokes, and everybody's involved in every episode of that versus um, in in live action, not everybody's on set or any, and not everybody's in like the, the edit sessions or whatever. Well, that's am- I just as you were talking, all I could think was like, oh my god, it would be so amazing to be able to rewrite drafts of a TV show you could see. Yeah, like I mean that because I mean I see that now. Like I watch TV and movies, and I was like, if they just did this yeah. in a scene, it would be better. Mm-hmm. And like you guys actually, because as much as I guess you know, even when you do table reads, until you see the actors do it and like see it, yeah, you don't always see how it could be better. Yeah, and or sometimes you're like, I really think that'll be better when we can see it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it goes both ways, but yeah. When did yeah. the when did the vo- the A team voice actors come into that process? They're at the table reads. And how about the the, like the first and second drafts of, of the animation? Are, are they doing that? Or? They they record their their voices recorded for that oh, generally. Okay. Wow. I mean, so then they have to come back in to, to re-record. Do a, re-record it? Yeah. yeah, sometimes there'll be stand-ins if if there's like a cast issue, but yeah, yeah usually they record right away and then do follow-ups. Wow, wow. Um, Ahem. Ahem. Oh, yeah. It's that oh, time, so, Adam. Um, when we first uh, had guests on, uh, Josh started doing this really sticky thing that drove me crazy. It's not sticky. It comes Josh out of is, from a very real place within me. Josh, but, uh, it's from deep character point of view. Um, <laughs> um, but he, uh, Josh is a big fan of chocolate. In fact, he... Um, I, I, I prefer to say cacao. 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 He, he cacao. Bring, cacao. brings his own beans back from South America. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would, we'd have a guest and we'd always stop midway through the interview and he would give him an, a really fancy um, chocolate. Okay. And when he started doing this, I was like, oh, my God, this is so sticky. Like, what are you doing? Like, let's just do the interview. It's like Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> what does Jimmy Fallon do? I don't know. Something I don't know, like that. Yeah, it's good to throw just out cacao. that. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, quality, anyways, inter- quality entertainment like um, Jimmy Fallon. Josh won, and we have chocolate <laughs> cho- cho- for you uh, all the way from Idlewild, which is a mountain town, about two and a half hours from L.A. A buen cacao. They roast and make their own chocolate. I think this is a good shtick. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm just yeah. waiting for Noah yeah. to be like, yeah. You know Actually, I'm, I'm allergic. Quiet. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'm not uh, a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. So here, and this was hand selected just for you. Wow. Adam, just so you know. It's yeah. not like. It's it must like, be yeah. salty. Yeah, sea oh salt. God, how did you know? It's from Honduras. And just everyone stay tuned because when we get back, we're going to have Nora's um, four-part lecture on screenwriting. We're going to listen to Nora chew it. <laughs> we're, we're snapping the chocolate. Actually, okay. th- this, is oh, what, yeah, this, is crea- this is created by a uh, husband and wife. Um, who, uh, and I think they have a child as well. And they've been, uh, they have this little cafe up in Idlewild. I, ooh, what was All right. Okay. So we're, we're, we're doing it. Enough right. chit-chat. Okay. You know it would be really good if I just brought out some cocaine. And then <laughs> another thing we like to get <laughs> our guests, <laughs> also from South America. Yeah, <laughs> bring out the razor blades. Mm. Oh, I made myself sick. Hmm. <laughs> and we're back from uh, Chocolate Land. Um, it's uh, we're all going to be okay. We have had uh, some eighty percent overpriced chocolate. And high quality. Yeah, we'll just see what happens. Yeah. yeah. It's like a research study. Probably an energy shift now. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we didn't tell you what was in the chocolate. So. Mm. <laughs> a little sharper, a little brighter, a little lighter. Mm-hmm. When, we, when it says Bolivia, mm-hmm. that's no joke. Um, let's talk about scene writing. Let's do it. I was going to ask you a question, but I figured you'd just tee it up. We've got about, I've allocated about nine, 10 minutes for you just to roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. Let me ask you some specific questions. Yeah. So, um, 
One of the things I've heard you talk about is scene testing, where you come in and you look at something you've written in a script and you ask some questions specifically about that scene, such as um, what is the emotional point of view of each character? Mm -hmm. What's the beginning, middle, and end? What has to happen in the scene? Where do mm -hmm. we start? Where do we end? Um, how do each character feel about each other in that scene? Um, sometimes I think people ask, can the scene go another way? Mm -hmm. If we if we interrupted the scene, not interrupted. If, and so all those are, I love those questions because they force you to actually know your story. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I asked and answered the question. So let's just go to the yeah. next one. Well, so, there's, other, there's other things too. Yeah, yeah, let's talk. Um, it's basically the questions you ask yourself about the whole script. You can ask yourself about a specific scene. It can be a really helpful like rewrite tool. Like what is the goal of the main, main character in this scene. What are they yeah. trying to get? What conflict is gonna be created? And if you can't find conflict, how can you create conflict? Can you add a character? Can you heighten the stakes? Um, and as far as what characters, what their, emotion, what their point of view is in the scene, also what just happened to them the last time we saw them? How does that change who they are here now? Um, a lot of those things, you'd be amazed if you go through one of your scripts um, and look at, I always look at like my favorite scenes because those will be the easiest because I'll be like the most committed to them um, and then sort of build out from there. It's like a joke to imagine that you're going to do it for every scene in your script, but I guess if you're a really hard worker, you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're an overachiever. Uh, yeah. Another thing that I see, I see a ton uh because when I teach, um, is people come into scenes uh, earlier than they need to, and they stay in scenes longer than they need to. Um, so all that kind of, that's another scene testing thing. But yeah. Yeah, because you teach, you must see lots of really bad habits and just yeah. just lots of stuff that I think when people are writing it, they don't realize they're doing it. Totally. Uh, myself included, until I actually go back a second time. Same. It's it can be very it's very validating as a writer to see that because you're like, oh yeah, everybody does the same things. There's things like this thing, especially in comedy, drives me nuts. But it's true everywhere. Uh, when characters say such generic things that you it could be for any character in your script. Uh, like a, one of the biggest things I look for in my own writing and, and when I'm teaching is like, is this a, do you know your character well enough that you're giving them dialogue that only they could say? Yeah. Because um, otherwise you're just wasting, kind of wasting a character. Um, yeah, that's a big one. I, I have an example of that. Um, Nor Effen wrote a feature film about some family up in Santa Barbara it was relatively, it was like maybe seven years ago. Anyway, there's a lawyer in it. Talking about my saint. Yeah, She's buried. She can't hear us. <laughs> she's, she's, I mean. She, she, Prove it. Her, her comedy is amazing. There's no question about it. But um, um, she portrayed uh, a character who was a lawyer. And he, they, the film, this part of the film was set in Santa Barbara. And the guy had literally, because I, I listened for it, zero legal references in his dialogue. Huh. And I'm like, that's not that's not human nature. Yeah. Human nature is that if I work as a lawyer, there's going to be some what I call a leak. There's going to be a leak of something. Yeah. At some point. Right. Yeah. And even if it's even if he's not using like specific language, like 
no low contender or whatever the hell they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever Latin my lawyer friends yeah. throw around to be fancy. Quid pro quo. <laughs> now we all know. Yeah. What it, quid pro quo. Yeah, it doesn't have to be something so, something so, you know. On the nose. On the nose like that. But yeah. some, just something. But there was that's, zero. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm married to a lawyer. Both my parents are lawyers. My brother's a lawyer. I'm surrounded by lawyers. Yeah. And there is a yeah. manner of speaking. Yeah. Or certain certain wor- certain word choices that would o- yeah. that would only lend itself to being a lawyer. Well, and if you're in an argument with a lawyer, yes. you know that you're in an argument with a yes. lawyer. Yes. That's really interesting. I'm I'm writing, and uh, a lot of that I don't, I'm not going to like talk about Nora Ephron because I agree she's a saint. But like I think a lot of that at a lower level comes from not writing what you know, so sort of just swinging and not. Thinking, not knowing, even knowing to think about that, mm-hmm. which I mean, even as I sit here, I'm writing a, the pilot I'm working on right now is the main character is a doctor. But see, but I'm see, not a doctor. I, yeah, see, I, 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 well, I see. I but say, I mean, you have to be aware of it. You have to be aware of yeah. it, and you have to take it on. But it doesn't make a difference if it's a lawyer or a doctor or or, nope. a, or a plumber. Like totally, because we still have the same. Because because every joke is going to come from a reference point, and if I don't have the reference point built in, then I can't get to the totally. Joke. So if you don't know it from your own experience, you have to get to know it. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it gets to a larger point, which I think is really apropos of now, which is that like, how much work are you willing to do to research, not just research, right. but to listen to the emotions and the details of someone who of your character's world, right? Like, and this comes up like, I read a book recently. Um, it was a male writer writing and the female was a lead. And one of the criticisms was like this reads like was written by a man writing a female lead. And um, and like that's a good review. <laughs> end of review. Yeah. <laughs> Print. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess I think for myself, I like to believe that like that can be done really well if you are willing to spend enormous amounts of time listening and really trying to figure out the authentic perspective of that yeah. character. And, it, you know, it's charged to talk about it in, like, a man writing a, a female lead. But I think it applies to everyone because it applies to a woman having to write the role of a doctor. And she's not a doctor, like, in your situation, you know. Totally. And, and it's, like, and I think sometimes the question, I think, for some people is, like, how much time and how willing are you to work on that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, See, I don't, I, I'm going to jump in on this. I don't feel like it's necessarily time. I think it has to do with intention. And I think it has to do with being using all of life as an opportunity to grow as, a, as an artist. And so then I can just tap into that. In other words, like I'm not going to wait to be aware of what a lawyer says only when I'm writing a script about a lawyer. I need to be aware of that now. And then, and then it starts filtering into my work. Well, you're saying at even a higher level, like do you want to go about your life being highly sensitive yeah. to the perspective, the language, yeah. the dress? The, the dreams of many different types of people we encounter in life, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a homeless person, yeah. whether it's a librarian, whether it's a child. Because, because we, we can only write what we're aware of. And, but, if we're not, and if we're not using our awareness in a day-to-day level, but, how are we uh, supposed to stretch? But all of us don't have to write everything. And True. so Absolutely. like on trial and error, we, we had a legal consultant because none of us were lawyers. Yeah. And it was a legal show. And my friend of mine was the medical consultant on Chicago Med. And, you know, that's they serve a purpose because we're not expected to know everything. And so it gets a little weird when we're in the vacuum of our own writing. I don't mean from a technical point of view. I mean from from a character's point of view. But even that, like, I mean, you know, when you get staffed on a show, you're on – you're writing about shit you don't know, like – you know, writing about whether I wrote for a character who's a police officer. I, I only know my perspective yeah. on these people, which is 
sort of just life. But see, but see, and that's where I'm. That's what I'm offering up right now. What I'm offering up is the sensitivity and the awareness, so I can step into the world of emotionally, not technically, because technically is a whole other world. But I can I can step into the shoes of or in the world of that character and see the world through their eyes, even if it's not technically correct, but emotionally correct. Then I can get closer. But I th- and I I think. I guess I think it's a little unrealistic to be able to do that in every instance. And so it's more about, this is a real conversation. Yeah. This just got weird. Weird. Uh, Can we get a joke? It's more about, it's more about finding what it is about a character that does connect you because ultimately we're all people. And so what the emotional, like figuring out who a lawyer is emotionally isn't different than figuring out who a writer is emotionally. The expression, the expression. Well, the ca- well, we'll say character because some people, some people are defined by their by their job, sure. by their occupations, and other people aren't. They have a little more width, you know. But um, but uh, that's more of a character. It's more of a character-driven question than a than a occupation-driven question. And then there's certain occupations that attract certain types of characters, which gives you, you know, the, which gives you the the, the stereotype. Yeah. Right. Because, 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 like a policeman stereotypically wants to be controlling, and stereotypically, that's you know, you know, they use command languaging, right? And then they're very controlling. So, someone who's very loosey goosey wouldn't necessarily want to become a policeman. Or that would be a very interesting character. And 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 we're seeing that emergence now. Like I I meet policemen right now that, at least in this area, that I see at the juice place, and they're very friendly and warm, which is a departure from you know the archetype. Yeah. So so yeah. So it, it does give more width. Yeah, I think you know to to give like a concrete example. Let's let's use a doctor, right? And a doctor is in a room in a scene, and the patient comes in, uh, and the patient has a chronic illness, and the patient is refuses to take their medication. Right. That's the setup for the scene. On one hand, there's the technical reality of like, okay, what are the interventions that a doctor is going to know to handle it? But then there's the emotional reality of like. The question I would want to know is like, what is the doctor actually feeling in that situation? Are they feeling irrit- actually anger because this person is deteriorating because they won't take their? Are they feeling uh, frustration? Uh, you know, are they feeling like actual resentment because they feel like they're failing as doctors because mm-hmm. this person is losing their eyesight because they refuse to take insulin? You know, it's like those are when I think of all the colors of the emotional point of view of that character underneath what they're with. Because if you know that, then you can at least know sort of what their behavior and what their languaging might yeah. be like in that scene. Um, but I think figuring out that emotional reality, um, which you know, which you requires, which is big picture and small picture antecedent condition, which is the thing that just happened before, mm-hmm. as well as the larger thing of like, hey, I'm $100,000 in debt because of medical school. Right, so right. All the, yeah, all no, the like what came before, when Josh used the word yeah. antecedent condition, you know, he's referring like, the doctor who's there who has no debt versus the doctor who has $300,000 in debt and is like, this is what I signed up for, <laughs> yeah. $6,000 a month yeah. in debt payment, and yeah. I've got some guy who's losing his eyesight because he won't even take his goddamn medication. Right, right. Like, point of view. Yeah. Right. You know, but that, like point of view, yeah. that point of view is, is built on all the stuff that goes. Right, versus another nurturing kind of doctor who's like, this is a really interesting, cerebral maybe, this is a really mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. problem. Like, how do we get people who won't take their medication to take their, you know, what, you yeah. know, like. That's probably a DO, not an MD. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean. Well, which goes to character, you know. Right. So, so you have occupation, then you have character. Well, that's and that goes to not creating a one-dimensional character and creating a character, a full character whose yeah. history you know, yeah. even if we don't know it all in the script, yeah. you know who they are, and that's why they act the way they act, and 
why they became a police officer or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a big thing I sometimes encounter when, like, when I'm reading scripts or people are asking me for notes. It's like um, they, you get a sense that they don't know what happened before this yeah. world started. Mm-hmm. Like they don't know what this person's life was like before. And I think I was pretty lazy about that, like on the first the first couple of scripts I read, I was just like, oh, I just want to write a script. Yeah. Um, instead of starting to think more deeply about what was their childhood like, what was their life before this started, um, how is it impacting their behavior now? Yeah. And how has it led them up to this point where this, sh- this story should start here? You know, they use this term, why, um, why now, why today? Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. now, why today, yeah. You know, like, why does the story start here? Um, and I think all that other work, you know, we talk about a lot on the show, but all that uh, that work of of understanding the world, understanding the character's point of view, uh, all the character development work, I think maybe sometimes is a little bit uh, not as emphasized in favor of structural issues. Like mm-hmm. these, this is how a three-act feature script should be written or this is how mm-hmm. five acts of a pilot function yeah. and this is what an act break is. Um, and you create a great act break when you something happens that is totally consistent with the characters in the scene. And so that that act break... Yes, it it leads us forward, but it comes from who these people are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if we know what's important to someone, we know it's easier for us to understand what's at stake for them. And then when they lose something, we know what it means to them. So knowing the history of what's important to them or whatever. Like like the the most famous example I can think of of what you just said exactly, Nora, is uh, the Jack Benny moment where where he says, just a minute, I'm thinking. You know, there's that famous radio show where the guy goes, for Jack Benny, he goes, your money or your life? Your money or your life? Mm-hmm. Hold on, let me get my time life. machine. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, no, now I've pieced it together. Yeah. From a comedy point of view, this, is, this, is, this was the longest sustained laughter in, in comedy history on radio shows ever. Uh-huh. I think it was like... Wait, long, did they hear this one? It was like <laughs> nine minutes, 11 minutes, wow. something like that. Yeah. And it was like, just a minute, I'm thinking. Yeah. Now, just a minute, I'm thinking is not, is not a punchline. It's not. No, it's not. As but it is my reaction to it. But right it now. but it is in relationship to the setup. Yeah. Without the setup that 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 means nothing. But because we know the character so well. Yeah. Which is what you And that's the kind about. of thing that that character would be, let me think about it. it. Yeah, let me think about it cuz he's such a stingy little Yeah. And he and that was his that was one of his major traits. So that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Mm, what what was that? Well, I think there's a fu- there's a some people shy away from figuring all that all that out because they don't understand the need to know it if we're not including it in the pilot yeah and that makes me crazy it's very short-sighted it's very short-sighted but it also is like then without it if you have it then maybe you can get some of it out in the pilot or at least hint at it in a way that even if only you get it yeah or the smart audience will be like that's that's something yeah well look at mad men like Paul, I, I think Paul, about that sometimes because that was a show in which so much of it had to do with the main character's past. Yeah, and it was like little bits and yeah, yeah they gave pieces. it to you bit by yeah. bit over season. I do wonder how much of it Matt Weiner knew before he ever they ever made the first episode. I'm sure he got to know that character better, and it expanded his past for him. The, but I'm sure the, he knew. He knew the basics. Oh, ba- yeah, the basics of, I mean, of Draper's return from war and how he'd come back. Yeah. Because yeah. Cause that character doesn't change. 
Yeah, we talk about this all the time. But with Breaking Bad, yeah. Breaking Bad, they knew a lot too because of the way they would circle back on certain themes. Oh yeah. The only way they would be able to do that is if they knew. Well, beforehand. immediately in the first season, they go back to his failed involvement with yeah. with the high tech company that became made a lot of money. Yeah. Um, Which pays off in the last season. Yeah, but so. to, Nora, to your point, we did a we did a double episode last year about character transformation, and we I often talk about Mad Men because as the difference between television and film to some mm-hmm. extent because. You know, film, you have this character transformation. Like, you think of Dallas Buyers Club. Um, Matthew McConaughey's character goes from That's you know, hard-edged, classic. redneck, homophobic, to empathetic yeah. um, person trying to save everyone from HIV. So there's this massive character transformation. If you think about Mad Men and Don Draper, yeah. like, the guy's a philandering alcoholic pretty much for seven seasons. That, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, that is the thing about TV. Your characters yeah. don't change. Yeah. yeah. Just like life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> really, stakes just get higher. Yeah, yeah. Still right. the same asshole. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Now you just have a, more to lose. <laughs> now there's just a child's life right. that depends yeah. on. Right. Oh ratchet God. it up. Ratchet it up. Um, yeah, and when, yeah, I think I, I think I wonder if part of why TV serialized TV has become has having its moment the last fifteen years has because it, it most closely. In many ways, it's the art form that is most closely resembled actual life. Uh-huh. You know, it's like feature films are not actually like life. It's, yeah, it's, com- it's compression. Well, and like people get obsessed with TV shows because they know what they're, who they're gonna see. Yeah, they're like family friends. They yeah. come to the living room. Yeah, I heard that. I never watched The Shield, but apparently when the main character dies, or one of them, oh. I have friends who are just like in mourning. I keep wanting to, why do I, someone talks about that all the time. Oh, I think my showrunner's on Paradise PD. They reference that show all the time, yeah. and I just never watched it. When was it? Like the nineties? I think it was early two thousand. How did I? I miss think there's it? a Dirty Cop. Yeah, and um, it's like the pre-wire. Yeah, Dirty Cop. Yeah, love um, a Dirty Cop. <laughs> love a Dirty Cop. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, you know. I mean, it's interesting for a lead, yeah, because they're immediately so unlikable, mm-hmm. particularly today. You know, mm-hmm. cops are going not having their moment. <laughs> 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 Speaking of moments, yeah. Uh, but except Josh's except the juice bar. Juice bar. <laughs> in, in West Hollywood, they're really you know the sheriff department is a whole other world. Let me just tell you. yeah. I have to say, if I ever get arrested, I hope it's from a West Hollywood police officer. Yeah, like they're probably like the nicest. I can't believe it's going to be a stripper. The, the, yeah. the people that go around like giving out tickets around here on the bicycles, they're nice. The ones that, the ones that are in, in cars aren't so nice, but the ones on bikes are just friendly. Yeah. Well, they kind of have to be because they're like so right, right there, you know. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. can't run to their car, but right. What's but the next? A cop on a horse? Like what is it? Actually, horse cop. Venice has horse cops. Yeah. <laughs> Venice, Santa Monica has them. Yeah. Clip, clip, clip. I used clop. to hear that little clop, clop <laughs> down the street. But you know what? You know what I heard you say a couple times today, Nora, is is in a world, in a world, and we did a whole episode on it. But it really isn't. That's that's vital, you know, to to get that world, you know, the biggest mm-hmm. canopy, and mm-hmm. then and then your character's world, and you know, we're like shaping worlds and bringing them all together within a within mm-hmm. a world that you're creating. When when you're working on an original pilot and it's set in a world, like they're all set in a, a world, but like, do you have a process or like an approach to trying to get into it? You know, like I know you're, you're writing original with a doctor as a lead, but like, like what's your go-to? You're like, I watch another World show wise. about that world. I know. <laughs> I know. Research. Yeah. I'm always like, Research. not very creative. My mom tells me not to say that. She doesn't think it's a good selling point. <laughs> um, no, I... 
My default is is more about character. I tend to write very sarcastic female characters, <laughs> and I guess I just look no. for different places to. I sort of it's like, where am I? Like <laughs> I'm legit, legitimately might write a library because <laughs> now I'm in a library. Uh, so that's kind of how I I have to be very grounded with it all. Mm-hmm. I think of. A, a situation that I've been in. I see. What I would be like if I were one of the people that I'm dealing with in that situation. Mm-hmm. And then build the sort of characters out from there. Yeah. Yeah. So you really are going to write this West Hollywood. Right? I really am. <laughs> Emotional empathy. It's going to be about <laughs> a girl, maybe a woman, okay. who... Uh, went to record a podcast at the library <laughs> and realized that libraries were still around <laughs> and still free. You could just walk in and she started spending all her time there. Yeah. Started writing there. Definitely didn't start reading there. I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still look yeah. around and I'm like, what are all these books here for? I know. <laughs> Everyone's just staring at a laptop. Right. Who reads the books? Yeah, because there's no there's no passwords on a book. We do. We get my son has a library card, so yes. we go we get library books out for him. Does he have a Twitter account? <laughs> no, he does have an Instagram account. Yeah, so. That's what I thought. Thank God, yeah. something you can actually use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> library that's how he card. brags about what books he's read <laughs> on IG. Yeah. Uh, I, let's let's do some more questions. Yeah, finding the voice of the character. That's that's an interesting thing. We we touched on it before, but. You know, making that distinctive, making it different, mm-hmm. making it d- from the inside out, the outside in, a yeah. little bit of both. It's like, um, because usually for me at least, I have the strongest sense of the main character. So first draft or whatever, she's going to, she, she, she. I should write a male lead because there's certain outlets who feel like they have too much female content. I won't say on air who said that to me. <laughs> I'll tell you later. Well, uh, I was going to hit pause. Wow. <laughs> you should read the, the um, I often reference it, but the Eric Heiser interview uh, with Brian Koppelman. Eric Heiser wrote Arrival. Okay. Um, and I think before that, Nightmare on Elm Street, a couple of the sequels. Anyways, Brian Koppel created uh, Billions. Uh, but, you know, he spent 12 years pitching that. And one of the problems, that he, one of the notes he got back from studios is like, no one wants to see a female-driven sci-fi movie. Okay. And uh, that's because I mean, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And eventually uh, they did. Uh, yeah. Eventually he found an independent um, financer and uh, eventually Denis Villeneuve, who directed it, got really excited about it. And uh, Amy Adams was in it. And then he got nominated for an Oscar because it was a really good script. <laughs> did they win? Uh, I don't think they won any. I don't think he won anything. Okay. But it was that's it was amazing. the best movie I saw that year. Yeah. I, really, I don't know. And I'm not a sci fi guy. Wasn't it this yeah, movie? I'm not either, and I liked it. I loved it. Which Arrival. Arrival. Uh, Arrival's a really great movie. Um, it is about a basically aliens arrive, and there's a linguist, female linguistic professor, who they need to bring in to translate what the aliens are, are doing. Mm. And there, it's just, and then it's just visually beautiful, like so, so beautiful. When anyone says no one. That's just. That's yeah, just I mean, I'm probably misquoting what he said in that interview. He basically well, he said he almost got no one. I mean, I think he probably pretend. <laughs> you know, he still has to work, but he's basically. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he basically said to his his reps, "Please don't send me back to that studio. I don't want to pitch there anymore because I don't ever want to hear that." Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a great interview. Also, just all the the politics of it aside, just to to be that committed to a project 
mm. for 10, yeah. 12 years and be like, that's true. I mean, to know that your project is such a hard sell, but to know, I mean, it's kind of crazy if you think about it for a second. And then be an Oscar nominee. Dallas yeah. Buyers, Dallas Buyers Club was, what was the clock on that one? I, I think they started working on it in the early nineties. Yeah. Wow. And when did it come out? Like 10 years ago? In the 2000s for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think, I, I think. I'm probably wrong, but I believe that started maybe almost as a magazine story where they interviewed Ron Woodruff before he died. We need to talk to Craig. Yes, yeah, we want to have the screenwriter, Craig Borden, on who wrote that. Um, it's funny, I went to the, the year the year I got nominated, there was a panel at the WGA with all the Oscar no, the, the nominated screenwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like Spike Jones was on stage for her and David O. Russell for Silver Lightning's Playbook. And he was on there. And... Someone raised their hand and like, what's the worst note you've ever got from a network executive? Like, and um, people went around and they said semi-serious. And, and Craig Warden said, "Well, I got a note on one draft. Said like, this is kind of depressing. Can't Ron Woodruff live?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, That's "You know, funny. if you think about it for a second, you're like." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess you can do anything you want. Like, get in a spaceship and fly to outer space where there's no AIDS anymore. <laughs> Turn it into a sci-fi movie. <laughs> I mean, um, Nora turned me on to the pilot for This Is Us, which I read, which I really, really like. It is a good pilot. Such a good pilot. And it's for network TV, and it's squeaky clean. Squeaky clean. Super Have you watched it? Heartfelt. Oh. No. And it's... And I was like, well, you know, they're working within the limitation of, of like, feel-good network dramatic TV, but, yeah. like, great, great conflict. Gets in and out of those scenes seamlessly, really quickly, the conflict. You know, everything is just so clean in that, in that script. Yeah, the end, when the reveal, when, like, it widens out. I yeah. don't remember if we talked about this, but the, the reveal is that it's the 70s. Yeah, you don't know. Just so everyone, one, there, there are four parallel storylines it turns out that three of them are taking place in present contemporary times and one of them is actually taking place in the 70s mm-hmm. 40 years ago or whatever. yeah but you have no idea until the last scene of the pilot and you only know because they're standing in the hospital when these babies are born and you it widens out and there's people smoking cigarettes uh, in the hospital and, and a, then all of a yeah. sudden you see what is it on it's the a network TV? tv and i think they might I'm probably making this making this up, but maybe they're talking about the Iran Contra hostages or something from the late something. something, something you know, something topical to 1979. And it was like it's such a it's a great moment. But yeah, I mean that there's a there is a something to be said for network TV where you can't say things and you can't push things a certain way that it almost forces you to mm-hmm. do it a different way. Yeah. I don't know. I like network television. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got to get into some network TV. Yeah, I got stunted at the West Wing. Oh well. Yeah. A simpler time. Simpler time. <laughs> Good and evil. <laughs> yeah. Pretty clear. <laughs> um, we have a lot of writers. Is that for Kobe? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, that was really good. That was good. Well played. Because, because it was enough. Uh, yeah, that was, we had a moment it where it, uh, it was that dread I feel as a, Ex-journalist, do I have no more questions? Actually, Malcolm Gladwell gave an interview a couple of years ago uh, where he talks about sometimes he knows he spent 45 minutes interviewing someone and he goes back and listens to the tape and he realizes he, he got out early, he should have spent 90 minutes. He didn't really push it. 
So I think now is a good time to start with your childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really yeah. get in there. Let's get into my character's backstory. In, yeah, let's get into your backstory. Um, let's ask a generic question that everyone will love. Um, advice for writers out there who are maybe a little bit where you were in your career 10 years ago. If you could talk to Nora 10 years ago. 10 years ago, freeze your eggs. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a joke. Um, write take writing classes, um, ask people who have broken in for help uh, in writing, you know? Don't get so aggressive about getting it, getting your script into the right hands until you've written a few scripts mm. um, because you can waste a contact by sending them something before you're ready. Yeah. We've all done that. Um, yeah, I think that's my, my main advice. Yeah, I like that last one. And you're at the top of your game in the sense of, you know, you know, you have a lot of writing credits under your belt, you know, you're been a staff writer. So how, how does that, mm, how was your hopes and dreams and fantasy of that as opposed to the reality of living it? T- tell us. What's uh, I mean, it's, it's the best job for sure. Uh, I don't think that I mean it's there's just a lot of time looking for your next gig or waiting for something that you have in development to move forward and so I'm sort of learning to focus my energy away from the stress of it but it is definitely a learning thing it's like yeah. there's not I think it's each each time that I am sort of on hiatus uh, you get more used to it um, and a little more relaxed about it. I hope that only increases. Um, but the sense of security, there's a little bit of insecurity in this industry that's just built in. Yeah. Um, but the job itself is like a total dream. Mm, that's nice. Awesome. That's lovely that's to good. hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. Get to yeah. collaborate and be around other creative people. I can't believe it. I mean, I spent 10 years when I was doing stand-up and taking writing classes as a forensic accountant. I was like a spreadsheet consultant. Um, and to think that that's a job and this is a job, <laughs> it's just like my brain can't really, like I, it's like feels like a scam. It's like I get, I get health benefits in both and I get, they pay me for both. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like this, all I had to do was just switch to this. Of course it wasn't that simple, but like right. I can't believe those are two options people have for yeah, life yeah, yeah. And, and you get residuals the other one doesn't i mean come on <laughs> come on i get a pension yeah. oh my god, oh my god. there's, there's, this, there's a pension i know it's unbelievable yeah. <laughs> pension i know great benefits and uh yeah i mean that's great but it's there's politics to it you know you're always out there right now we don't have agents and yeah. that sucks um but it's awesome that's awesome I'm happy for you. Yes. Oh, get a spouse who's not in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's good advice. It's a 10% less scary. <laughs> you don't like having fun conversations when uh, you get a gig and they don't. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, there's a, there's a fair number of writing teams that are like spouses. Mm. Yeah. I'm always impressed. Like, that's a, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah. 10 hours a day with your partner. Yeah. Jesus. No, thank you. What, are you crazy? Is there, I'm going to ask you, in terms of like, you know, you've reached this this level of success and 
there's always some insecurity. Is there a part of you that like still dreams and like wants their own vision, their own show to have it be, to create the world that is yours? I had a really interesting meeting this week with a producer and she said she thinks there's two different kinds of writers. One that like has their sole focus on creating their own world and one that likes to support other people's worlds. Mm. And that, of course, this writer can transition, the the supporting other people's worlds can transition to the creating your own worlds. But there's just some people who just don't like being in the room and working on a show that they don't really like uh, rather than, I think I'm the other kind of person, I like, I love being in a room. And I can convince myself that I like any show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch my credits. <laughs> I know. Like, season I, 13 of Grey's Anatomy was very <laughs> overlooked. Hey, guess who watches Grey's Anatomy? All right. Uh, not just on an airplane. Um, but yeah, there's, I, I really enjoy the, pro- I mean, there, it's just like, as I said, it's just really fun when you get, when you take, it takes kind of the, some of the stakes out when you're writing on someone else's show because you just, you're, you just have to adapt and then you just get into it, you study it, you figure it out rather than like, being the person who has to figure it all out. Mm. I imagine one day, of course, I'd love to run my own show. I have I have a show in development at Warner Brothers right now. Like, I'm sort of like, well, I'm sort of like, God help me if, some, if it went somewhere. Because <laughs> I just want to get back in a room on someone else's show. Yeah. I mean, I, of course, I would love to have my own show. But there's some, there is... It's not like a tomorrow dream for me. Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting distinction. Yeah, um, it's great. Between, because it is a skill to be like really interested in supporting a collaborative vision. Mm-hmm. It's, a, and I tell you, like you learn so much watching other people, like you know, problem solving story, problem solving arcs, uh, dealing with network notes. It's amazing the the way people can handle it. And like to just get through it and not be overwhelmed by it, to come up with a simple solution for what feels like a big problem. Mm. It's not. That's huge. It's huge. That's huge. And yeah. it's really from experience. Yeah. You know. That can make and break relationships, let, let alone a project. Oh yeah, like you yeah. want networks to like working with you. You want yeah. studios to like you. Yeah. So yeah, I feel I have a lot to learn, um, and I don't think that's just because I'm very self-deprecating. <laughs> Um, but there are people at my level, which I appreciate you calling me successful, but I am a, you know, I'm like a mid-level writer. There are people who come into it right away, maybe have one staff writer job and are like, I can't do that again. I have to create my own stuff. Yeah. And like, they just feel, it makes them feel paralyzed to just spend their, like a waste of life or something. Mm. Because they're sitting in that room thinking about what their dream of their show could be. Yeah, which is like, just spend a couple of years as a forensic accountant and you'll appreciate <laughs> yeah. the freedom you have here. <laughs> like you haven't suffered enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. The character's antecedent condition. Get off yeah. that high yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, all relative. Yeah. It's all relative. But yeah. there's just also personality differences. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, this has been great. You've been funny as expected. Wasn't worried about that. Didn't let you down. Funny and successful. I'm so glad you said, you know, you loved your job. I, I heard David Sedaris recently and, you know, I think he stopped drinking and Terry Gross on Fresher was asking him like, so like, you know, drinking and the high life and money and fame, like tell, and 
he's like, look, Terry, I'm not going to lie to you. I love being rich and successful. Everyone, like all the criticisms. <laughs> he's, like, yeah. he's like, yeah, people, I don't know what those people are talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, it's great. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, we hope all of our listeners are rich and successful. And we hope they, if not, they get to uh, come and rent a free room in the West Hollywood Library. <laughs> yes. <this laughs> the view of the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great it. secret. I'm, I'm glad we're not telling a lot of people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, no, is there anywhere, do you want our listeners yeah. to hound you on yes. social media? Anything to yeah, watch Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Okay. What's your handle? Nora Nolan. Um, N-O-R-A-N-O-L-A-N. Is yes. there an H in there? No H. No H. Got it. No H. Who needs an H? Who needs an H? Um, I'm, Insta- I'm funnier on Instagram than Twitter. It's oh, just great. Nora Nolan. Nora well, Nolan. actually, my Twitter, my Instagram handle is Bacon Sides. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I thought of it one day when I ordered a side of bacon <laughs> at breakfast. <laughs> you uh, I switched to about documenting your life, and then that becomes your art. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm going to ask about a girl that goes to the West Hollywood Library, and, or a woman, and goes to the West Hollywood Library. Um, old yeah. bacon sides. Old bacon sides. <laughs> you can also watch Paradise PD yes. on Netflix yeah. and season two. The second, the first half of season two is going to drop on um, in early March. Great. All so right. the first season is on Netflix now. It is not for the faint of heart. Ooh, oh, yes, it's nice. not. Those jokes are edgy. Edgy. A little blue. <laughs> a little dirty. <laughs> a little dirty. Yeah. A little An- dirty. Animated dirty. Like yes. It. Great. Yeah. Just because it's a drawing doesn't mean it's for kids. <laughs> no, 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 no. We got stickers from the show some one of the animators made stickers and i brought them home for my son and my <laughs> wife was quite horrified which you'll understand if you watch the show they were very offensive but he likes stickers so yeah there's a really great um, animation that i saw on twitter from paradise video of a cat's anus that is uh, looking into the universe yes yes that was a classic <laughs> <laughs> i might have written that one <laughs> Real, uh, real heady stuff <laughs> coming out of Paradise PD. Uh, Paradise PD is on Netflix. Um, I'm sure you can see old episodes of Trial and Error. Yeah, uh, on, on Peacock or whatever. on Hulu or Peacock or somewhere. Yeah, something that NBC owns. Yeah. Something of. Um, awesome. Thank you so much. Norman. Thanks for having me. This Thank was great. You. Thank awesome. you. We can be real. Yeah, don't be fake anymore. <laughs>